Good morning, Saltbox. I am so thrilled that you could join us. Uh, my name is Michael Mattis, and I pastor Saltbox Church here in Wilmington, North Carolina. We're both meeting in person, and we are gathering online. If you're watching this, and I trust you're joining us online. But uh, we're in the middle of a really neat series we're doing called Beautiful Attitudes. And so we're in Matthew 5, verse 8 the, today. I'm also going to cross-reference Luke 11, verses 37 to 40, and I'm going to dip back one time into Ezekiel 33. But this is a really wonderful um, series for me because it's so uh, intimate. And Christ Jesus literally went up onto a mountain, a place called Aramis Heights, and he sat down in a natural stone amphitheater, and he began to teach not only his disciples, but he begins to teach the multitudes, and they've gathered around him. And in, in many ways, you're at the height of Jesus' public ministry here. And so literally he starts off in, with this, these beatitudes or beautiful attitudes, as Billy Graham referred to them. But in, in verse 8, so I'm in Matthew 5, and in verse 8 it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And what I want to do this morning is spend just a few minutes with you and attempt to unpack what does it mean to be pure of heart? And, and then if we're pure of heart, what does it mean to actually uh, see God? And, and what is Jesus saying here? You know, I, I was flipping back right before I jumped up here and um, I was looking at one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. And it, it's actually Exodus 33.11 in the Amplified Bible, excuse me, uh, 33.13 in the Amplified Bible. And here's what it says. Moses is talking um, to God and he says, now therefore I pray you, if I've found favor in your sight, show me your way, here it is, that I may know you progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with you, perceiving and recognizing and understanding more strongly and clearly, and that I may find favor in your sight. You know, what does it mean to see God? What does it mean to see him in action? And, and then what is uh, someone who is pure in heart? So to set the context for that, I want us to flip over to Luke 11. And I'm going to read just a couple of verses out of Luke 11. This is verse uh, 37 through 40. And uh, Jesus is literally finishing up um, speaking. And you'll see what happens. So verse 37, it says, <clears throat> When Jesus had finished speaking... A Pharisee invited him in to eat with him. So he went in and he, Jesus, reclined at a table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup or the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, do not, uh, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? So a couple of things here as we begin to unpack what is someone who is pure in heart? What does it mean to be pure in heart? And um, if you're tuning in today and you go, Michael, I am not only not pure in heart, I, I feel like I never could be pure in heart. I think that's another question that we'll sort of look at is if I'm not pure in heart, if I don't feel pure in heart, how do I uh, make my way back to some purity of heart uh, so that I can see God? So what we see here in Luke 11 uh, is, is actually really fascinating um, to me, because uh, first off, um, Jesus is at the height of a public ministry. And, you know, at this point, 
um, the Pharisees clearly are after Jesus. I mean, they want to catch him, they want to corner him, and ultimately they want to kill him. And so it's a little crazy that the Pharisee would actually invite him in for a meal unless he's trying to sort of bait Jesus or corner him or get him um, to mess up so that he can accuse Jesus. So that's probably the backdrop here. And then what's fascinating to me is, is Jesus kind of looks into this Pharisee's motive and immediately what he's sort of focused on or seeing or, or doing is that he recognizes that this guy's not sincere, he's not pure in heart, and so what Jesus does is he refuses to perform the traditional ceremonial washing. So uh, ceremonial washing at this point in history was like stone jars that would have been off on the side of the room. And there was a, there was a certain prescription where you start by putting a, a log, or, a, or it's, a, it's actually an egg and a half, eggshell and a half of water. You pour it over the fingers and it drips down to the wrist. And then you rub the, the fist into the palms one after another. And then you actually end by pouring water in the reverse way. It was very this huge prescription for how to be um, sort of clean. So Jesus comes into this meal. And, and Jesus refuses uh, to do the normal ceremonial washing. And it's fascinating to me because, you know, at this point in time, this isn't about cleanliness. Uh, the germ theory wasn't invented until, what, Louis Pasteur maybe in the 1800s. Uh, th- so this, this is about ceremonial cleanness. So this is about a religious act. And Jesus actually comes in and he defies the religious act. Like he knows what these people are after. They want to bait him. They want to hook him. They want to corner him. And ultimately they want to kill him. And so he defies their um, sort of mosaic law customs, the, the, the customs of um, how to be ceremonial clean, clean before a meal. And he, he absolutely defies them. And then what happens I think is absolutely amazing because he, one of the Pharisees then is literally angry at him and points out that he did not first wash his hands. So he looks at the Pharisee and begins to address what's going on in the person's heart. He's saying, you clean the outside of the cup or the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. So I think that gives kind of a context for us this morning. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Because those are the people that are going to see God. And, and if I invited you into anything this morning, it would actually be to say, more than anything in my life, what I would want is to see God, to know God and be known by him. So then the question becomes, how do we move to a place where we are pure in heart so that we can see God? So uh, now let me also back off and, and say just a couple of things here. If, if you wanted to interpret the Bible you would use the Bible to interpret it. In other words, uh, Scripture can only be interpreted with other Scripture. You, you can't use um, human wisdom or human logic. You can't even use great education or even uh, history or archaeology alone. All, all those things are good, but the Bible is the only thing that interprets itself. And Hebrews 4.12 actually says um, the word of God, so the Bible, and the word was also Jesus, is Jesus. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to divide even to the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So in 1 Corinthians 4.3, Paul actually writes, I don't even judge myself. 
So it's really hard to even take a look at what does it mean to be pure in heart? And then it's really hard to even go, am I pure in heart? Or are you pure in heart? Or or who is pure in heart? And we could probably um, zoom out from that even just a little bit and go, okay, you can usually tell when someone has a motive to manipulate or uh, a motive to uh, maybe control a situation to get a, a desired end. Or in church world, you can kind of tell when someone is leading people towards um, themselves versus leading people towards Jesus. So uh, the, the question, though, becomes you cannot and I cannot actually rely even on ourselves to discern the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. How do we know, then, if our heart is pure? What, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So I think one of the answers is actually to dig a little deeper into the Greek. So pure in Greek um, is katheros, and there's probably three meanings, at least three, but three really stand out to me. And so the first way that this word would have been used in in Greek at the time is um, to clean. So literally, uh, dirty clothes that have been washed, uh, or, or soap that's been used to cleanse something, or someone or something that's literally been purged of dirt, cleansed, or, or washed. But the second thing that this Greek word, katharos, is used for, it literally means to clear. So uh, clear is probably, in, in that day and age, it would have been like um, wheat that has been cleared of chaff. Um, so it, it's funny, we're learning to roast coffee right now, and when you roast coffee, there's all this chaff that actually blows off of it, and so the coffee becomes clear once the chaff is gone. So the wheat in this day and age would literally be um, clear once all of that chaff had been sifted away. The other way clear would have been used, which is odd, but is that an army who had been pure, purged of all cowardly or otherwise sort of unwilling soldiers. So pure wheat, pure army, pure coffee, a, a single-minded um, or single uh, thing like coffee or like wheat. And then the third way that, that this Greek word was used would be pure. So um, milk or wine that was unmixed or unadulterated with water. So in ancient times, they'd actually take um water and they would take uh, they take wine they take milk and they would use water to cut it to make it go farther so literally pure milk or pure wine it's it's absolutely unadulterated or, or unmixed so <clears throat> i think we also should say here if in case you're sitting there going, how can I ever be unmixed? My heart is desperately and hopelessly uh, wicked. I would go, hey, that's a verse in the Bible. And listen, good news, because Jesus will take that broken heart, if you can give it to him, and he will make it new. And he makes it new not only once, but every day that you walk it out. So let's kind of put some of these together. Uh, This is probably a, a good translation of this. Happy is the person whose motives are always entirely unmixed for that person will see God. Happy is the person whose motives are entirely, always entirely unmixed, for that person will see God. So I have three points then that I think come directly out of this that hopefully we can take and and assimilate into our lives. But the first point is the pure in heart. So again, what's it mean to be pure in heart? The pure in heart are are single-minded. In other words, uh, they're, they're free from the tyranny of the divided self. In my life, 
I think the thing that I would um, dislike the most is when I am in a double-minded mode. In other words, when I'm saying one thing and doing another, or w- when I'm trying to make a decision and I'm, I'm sort of split. It's, it's, there, is a, there is a tyranny or an ugliness inside of us when we are not single-minded, when we are not single-focused. Uh, James 1.8 actually says, um, uh, talks about a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. So uh, what does it mean to be pure in heart? It means to be single-minded. It means to be single-focused. You know, I remember um, reading about Billy Graham and George Beverly Shea when they went to London. I think it was Herringay, 1954, when they made their entrance in London. And a lot of commentators, so the secular papers of the day, were very critical of these two guys and they, uh, the whole team. And I think the whole team actually made a number of mistakes. But the way history records it is they were accepted and they were respected and they were followed, uh, not because of their mistakes, but because people could tell that they were genuinely sincere. In other words, they were pure in heart. And if there's anything that we as people probably have to sort of rest in or even trust in is that our motives, when we're sincere, will shine through. So, you know, we tend to admire people who are single-minded, who are free from duplicity, who are single-focused, who are sincere. So, you know, let's, let's ask this question. If you're out there and you go, I'm, I am not um, single-minded. I am not um, pure in my motives. I've got great news for you because you can start the journey of becoming pure in heart. You can start the journey of becoming single-minded. And it, and it begins with a, um, a repentance, which is, Lord, would you forgive me for my double-mindedness? Would you forgive me for the split that I am living in? And then beginning to walk out that relationship with him every day. You have to sort of um, walk it out. You're not, you're not working for your relationship, but you are walking out or working out that relationship with him. So, number one, the pure in heart are single-minded. They're free from the tyranny of the divided self. Number two, the pure in heart are transparent and congruent before God and before people. So, this is kind of what I mean. If, if, the, if we as, as people have an outside self that Jesus was talking about, and then we have our inside self, um, the, the pure in heart are literally transparent and congruent. So in other words, uh, what's presented on the outside is aligned with what's presented on the inside. So there's, there's alignment. And if you're not pure in heart, what begins to happen is the inside is skewed or different than what's going on on the outside. It's what Jesus was literally angry at these Pharisees for being. He's going, you follow all the rules. You're great at washing your hands. And, and really his point, if you dug a little on that, is if you would have put as much effort into managing your heart, um, watching your heart before the Lord, sifting your own heart, um, looking after your heart as you put into the way that you wash your hands and clean yourself before a meal, then you would be a far better person. He's criticizing them. He's going, you're, you're literally focusing on the exterior where, where what God matters is actually it, it, it's interior. It's the inside of you. And I think what God is looking for in people is not people who are perfectly congruent or, or who are perfectly pure. No, no, no. Rather, he's looking for people who are progressively becoming more congruent or progressively becoming more pure. And that doesn't mean even by your own works. It means by your own surrender to the Lord, by going, Lord Jesus, would you? I see another area of my life where I'm not fully congruent. And, you know, if I was vulnerable, I would even say there's almost not a day that goes by 
in my life, in our marriage, in our family, where I don't recognize areas where what I present uh, is different than what's going on inside of me. And the hope is that as I grow, as I walk with Jesus, that I'm progressively becoming more intimately acquainted. I'm progressively becoming more congruent. In other words, progressively the outside of me is aligning with what's going on on the inside. And that is the pure in heart. So now let me also kind of segue to something here that I think is really pertinent. Um, uh, People who are pure in heart, people who are congruent inside and outside have basically nothing to hide, right? They're they're open, they're congruent, they are, they are full, you know, what you see is, is what you get. And shame is the enemy of that. And I, I, I think we, I'd be amiss not to park on this for just a minute. But, but shame, in my estimation, comes from two sources. Shame can come from your own sin, so your own choices, um, things you've done that you are ashamed of. You know before God that, they don't, that they're wrong. Um, but shame can also come by way of things done to us or against us. You, you think of a child that's abused, and that child carries um, shame because they, they sort of make this judgment about themselves that if an adult or someone I trusted or loved or respected did this to me, the essence of who I am must be bad. And I would actually say to you that, the, that shame um, is the enemy of this congruence. Shame is the enemy of, of, of you becoming a congruent, who you are on the outside, being aligned with who you are on the inside. Because when you're living in shame, either as a result of your own uh, sin or something you've done, or the result of something that someone has done to you or against you, you go into hiding. So you naturally put on a mask. You, 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 you project something out here that isn't necessarily authentic with what's going on in here. And I would also say the Holy Spirit does not operate in shame. Uh, The church does sometimes. Um, Jesus never operates in shame. The Holy Spirit never operates in shame. He he welcomes, um, he loves, he will convict us, but conviction is very different than shame. You know, you may have experienced a a teacher or a parent or um, an authority figure in your life who um, shamed you, maybe out of a right motive to get you to change some behavior. But shaming is never right. Shaming is, um, it's literally born of the enemy. It's born of Satan. And the Holy Spirit, God, will never shame. Shame is, is the enemy's tool, and it always results in death. Always. The shame that people labor under, I think, in many ways, is why there's incongruence in people's lives. Why people don't become pure in heart. Because they they can't fully be transparent. Uh, They can't be congruent inside and outside with who they really are because they're laboring under shame. Now, let's even say, if you're laboring under shame today because of something you've done, you can find forgiveness at the cross. There's no sin too great, no, uh, no mistake that's too ugly. If you're laboring under shame because of something that's been done to you by a parent or a friend or a spouse or someone you don't even know, uh, that can also be handled at the cross. And it's handled once, um, but I've got news for you. Dealing with shame and becoming a congruent person inside and outside is a little bit like an onion. In other words, if you, if you slice through an onion, you can pull off a layer and guess what you find under it? another layer. And guess what you find under it? Another layer. So as you deal with shame, either through what you've done or what's been done to you, and truly most of us have both categories of shame in our life. Because hurt people, um, you know, hurt people in this category, if you've been hurt by someone, tend to turn around and begin to hurt others. 
So, so for most of us, um, dealing with shame, dealing with uh, the, the, the results of either our own sin or the sin of other people in our lives, and then becoming more congruent as we deal with it, it, it is the, um, it, it's part of the Christian life, and it's part of actually um, knowing and being known by God. It's part of uh, knowing and being known by the Holy Spirit. It's part of walking with the Lord Jesus. It's, you think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he literally says, Abba, Father. He's literally saying, Papa. He's saying, Daddy. And, and you can't know God at that level unless you are congruent, unless the inside of you is, is aligning up more and more, progressively, more deeply, and intimately acquainted with God. That's internal and external congruence. That, that is what it means to be pure in heart. It's a, it's a person who is becoming more transparent and more congruent. So let's ask this. What if you're not congruent? Well, you come to the cross. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? What if you're full of shame? You come to the cross. You find a trusted person that you can walk with, perhaps even a counselor. You can get out from living under shame. You can get out from living under um, ugliness. You can recover. You can heal. You can become more congruent. It's a journey, and it's actually not an easy journey, but it does happen with the power of the cross. So my first point this morning, what does it mean to be pure in heart? The pure in heart are single-minded. They're free from the tyranny of a divided self. Number two, the pure in heart are transparent and congruent. In other words, who you are in here and who you are outside, what you present is congruent or, or aligned. You're not hiding things. My third point this morning is that in every sphere of life, we see what we've trained ourselves to see or what we've been trained to see. So in every sphere of life, you see what you've been trained to see. In other words, we see what we're looking for. We see what we've um, learned to see. So what do I mean by that? Some of you know I'm a landscaper by trade. And we, if we were in a car together and we drove by a hedgerow of bushes, you might see a line of bushes. I'm going to see a line of ligustrum or iliagnus. Why? That's what I've been trained to see. I'm literally seeing um, what I have trained myself to see. I look at a leaf and I can tell you what it is. It, it, it's just the reality. So um, uh, let me sh- shift the metaphor. Think of someone who can seem to be able to take any situation and any conversation and make a, uh, a nasty or even a dirty joke out of it. They've just trained their mind in a certain way, right? And they see in the situation, they see in the, in the um, what is said um, uh, a dirty joke. It, it just, it's literally what you've trained yourself to see and what you've been trained to see is what will erupt and come out of you. So I've got a friend who's a, uh, into antiques, and he's owned a couple of antique stores. And it's always fascinating to me because you can walk into a room of absolute junk. And, you know, I'll go towards something that um, might look good but be covered with dust. And more often than not, he's like, no way. He's going to find something that, uh, for my eyes, don't even necessarily look good, but he'll go, this is a treasure. This will sell. This is an antique. He's just got eyes to see. So uh, literally in every sphere of our life, we see what we're trained to see. So the pure in heart have literally trained themselves and been trained to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. P- 
people who are pure in heart will see God, they'll see his hand, they'll find his presence, they'll see his guidance in every situation. They've literally trained themselves to see it, to look for it, to listen for his voice, to tune their hearts in to what he's doing, to find him. You know how people often talk about finding the good in a situation, which is great. That's, that's, that's a wonderful idea. I, I'm more interested in finding the God in a situation. Where is God? What is he doing? Where is the Lord Jesus? Where is the Holy Spirit? And how can I help connect people to him? How do we know and be known by him? I think the essence here of what I'm probably trying to communicate this morning is those that see God are those that are looking for him. Those that miss God are those that aren't looking for him. And we could all sit around and give a dozen or even two dozen different things that we've trained ourselves to see. Oftentimes they're even good things, but they take away from our ability to find God in the moment, to listen to him. You know, I I often think of um, the way God works as... um, the word is kind of like a riverbed or, or a bedrock. And the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives is like a river that flows through that, through that bedrock or through that riverbed of the word. And you can't have or follow the Holy Spirit without the bedrock of the word. But if the bedrock of the word is alone and there's no river flowing through it, it's dry. And so there is this sense as you learn to walk with God is there's the direct and immediate revelation of the Holy Spirit in our lives in the bedrock of the word, in literally the riverbed through which the Holy Spirit flows. How do you see God? You let God purify your heart. You let God take you on the journey of becoming someone who is pure in heart, not someone who focuses on the outside. I'm actually convinced if Jesus walked into many churches and talked to many pastors, he would say to them something like he said to the Pharisees in Luke 11. You're focusing on the outside, and you're actually calling people to focus on the, the outside. And by calling people to focus on the outside, you're also calling people to neglect the, the important matter of the heart. And when people neglect the important matters of the heart, they actually fail to know me and be known by me. They actually fail to walk with me. They, they miss the movement of my spirit through the bedrock of the word, and they're unable to live. Uh, live lives that are deeply rich and fulfilled and full of the spirit, full of this blessed word in Greek is happy, Mercurios. Happy are the pure in heart. You want to be happy? You become pure in heart. You, you want to be happy? You actually uh, become pure in heart and then you begin to train yourself to see God, to find the Holy Spirit. You can actually find him in an argument if you'll quiet yourself and still yourself, what is he doing in this moment? How can you be a source of life, of comfort, of peace, of joy? How can you, instead of in most arguments, most of us uh, have reactions that kind of like throw gas on the fire, right? It all flares up. How, how, How do we actually become people who in all situations bring life, bring calmness, bring peace, bring joy, bring happiness, bring the life of the Spirit of God? How do we become a people who are congruent inside and out? How do we become a people who are pure in heart? How do we become a people who literally see God? If I want anything for myself, for my family, for our church, is that we would be a group of people that would be 
progressively becoming more intimately acquainted with him, progressively becoming um, more pure in heart, and progressively becoming more aware and knowledgeable, not knowledgeable, knowing, relationally, God. That's the heart cry of a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Those that see God are those that are looking for him. So let's get practical for just a second as we begin to wrap up. Here's some questions that you may begin to think about to determine your own purity of heart in any situation. Very simple. Um, so you encounter a situation, how do you know? Am I being pure in heart? Am I, am I able to see God? A couple questions. Number one, is it for you or is it for him? Whatever you're doing, is it for you or is it for God? Second question, is it more about your will and your way or is it more about his will and his way? Is what you're doing building your kingdom and establishing your rule and your reign or is what you're doing building his kingdom and establishing his rule and his reign? Is what you're doing leading people to yourself or to your thing or is what you're doing actually leading people to Jesus, leading people to know God and be known by him. You know, it's funny because at Saltbox, we have a group of very opinionated and strong elders, and I love them. And we have these uh, rather fiery at times elder meetings because the opinions are strong and things are well thought out. But what I love about our elder group is never... uh, have I ever seen us not do this? In other words, at every meeting, no matter how heated or how, how, how something is talked about, it always ends with, but I could be wrong. And not my will, but his will be done. That is a group of people that is actively walking with the Lord Jesus, that is actively, progressively becoming uh, more congruent and more deeply acquainted with the Lord. I think I would also say to you to beware of the person who does not or cannot admit that they could be wrong. I would say to you to beware of the person that thinks they're always right because I can assure you that those people will never see God. For me, for this church, I hope for you on this day that you will engage or take another step in the journey of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him that you will take the next step in becoming more pure in heart so that you can know him and be known by him. If you're with us this morning and you'd actually say to me, Michael, I've, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've, I've never um, surrendered my life to him. And I, that's a funny word, I guess, but I, I use it because in America, we sometimes um, want to say, oh, I, I believe in Jesus or uh, you know, okay, that Jesus was a holy guy. No, no, no. What the Bible calls us to is actually a surrendered life. So you come and you you give it all. You, you, you come to Jesus when you recognize that he gave it all for you, but you really begin to walk with him when you recognize that he calls you to give it all for him. So if you've never surrendered your life to him, I want to pray a prayer. It's simple. There's no magic words. It's an attitude of the heart. Jesus doesn't measure the exterior. He doesn't measure the words. He, he looks at your heart. And if you want to know him today, pray a prayer, something like this with me. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm not pure in heart. I recognize that I can't be pure in heart. 
And I recognize that I've fallen drastically short, way short of the mark that you set. And I recognize, Lord Jesus, that you came to earth, fully God and fully man. You lived, and then you went to a cross and died in my place. And then you overcame death and hell. You beat the grave. You rose from the dead. So on this day, I want to ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would literally come in and fill me up, that you would live inside of me. I surrender my life to you. And I ask that on this day, you would begin to show me how to know you and be known by you. You would begin to show me how to walk with you each and every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, there's a number on your screen. There's an email address. Would you get in touch with us? We'd love to get a Bible in your hand. We, we love the one-year Bible. We'd love to help get you connected with a church that, that preaches and teaches the whole of the Bible. We'd love to even pray with you and help you be filled with the Spirit. And we'd love to make sure that you're moving towards a place where you can be even baptized in water. You know, if you're a believer and you're with us today, and you would even recognize that there are areas in your life that aren't congruent, uh, that aren't fully aligned, that you're not um, the same person on the outside as who you really are on the inside. I want to invite you um, as we close to pray with me and acknowledge where you're not congruent. And, and by acknowledging where you're not congruent, it takes the sting out of the shame either the, uh, the shame of your own sin or the shame of something that's been done to you. But by acknowledging that who you are out here is different than who you are in there, you actually begin to calibrate and begin to move towards congruence and purity of heart. So if that's you, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I am recognizing that I am not the same on the outside as I am on the inside. And I want to be a person who is pure in heart. And Father, whatever that shame, whatever the source of it, maybe it's something I've done or maybe it's something that's been done to me, whatever the source of that shame is that's causing me to hide, it's causing me not to be congruent, it's causing me to present something different on the outside than what's on the inside. Lord, would you begin to take it away? Would you begin to change me? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, the journey with Jesus is... It's a multiple thousand mile journey. And in a day like this, my hope is that you'll hear and respond to his word and you'll take another step. If you need prayer, there's a number on your screen. Call one of us. We'd love to talk to you. We've got a great group of elders that have walked with the Lord Jesus a long time. They'd love to pray with you. Love to talk to you. And we'll be here again next week at 10 a.m. But uh, we love Jesus and we love you and we believe in what he's doing on the earth right now. Let's be a group of people who are pure in heart, becoming progressively more pure in heart, so that we're also a group of people that sees and knows God. Thanks for joining us.